0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. Today's special guest, we have the first that we've ever had, three generations of Anders, Rachel, Allison, and Tiffany. Allison is one of the great female directors of all time. She started with her first feature, Border Radio, back in the 80s, and then kicked off the indie and Sundance movement with her hit movie, gas, food, and lodging. She later did four rooms with her good friend Quentin Tarantino, and she's still working today on the hit show Orange is the New Black and the Emmy-nominated Ring of Fire, June Carter Cash biopic. we joined with the last but not least, Tiffany Anders, one of the top music supervisors around today, who just did one of my favorite movies of the year. The end of the tour. Let's join the conversation. We are here. Uh, Bill Cody, producer, and introducing our host, the lovely host, Chris Kirkwood. Hi, Bill. And we have we have an amazing... Uh, like, originally, this was going to be two generations. Now it's three generations of the fabulous Anders family. Uh, <laughs> and I have forgotten that... Rachel. Rachel. I am so sorry. Because Rachel just came in. Rachel is the mother of the amazing Allison Anders, who, if you don't know, is one of the, uh, you know, founding people of indie film. Uh, she started out in the 80s making the wonderful Border Radio, Gas Food and Lodging, which was a seminal film that was one of the films that broke Sundance, why it's even became what it is along with people like Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh, and has continued on Emmy nominee the other, not too long ago for Ring of Fire, about June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash, Orange is the New Black, uh, and then not to uh, say, this is certainly not last but least, because we have the wonderful Tiffany Anders, a musician and one of the best young music supervisors in the city uh oh, yeah. just did an amazing movie called End of the Tour which we were just talking about but now I'll throw it back to Chris uh Oh
1: no, not yet. No, you're doing good, Bill. Give it up. Well, thank you guys for coming in.
2: Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Yeah,
1: it's just it's a it's a real treat. Uh, you know, this is an interesting outlet, you know, for me, Bill. Like I was saying, you know, thought that it would be a good idea to have a talk show and uh I've gone along with it and it's allowed me to get to some really interesting places and meet some really neat folks, you know. So thank you very much for coming in.
2: Oh, man, so excited.
1: And, hey, why don't we begin with uh, when you first met
0: both Allison and Tiffany, because <laughs> we've talked about that before.
1: Well, that is we do have something in common. Uh, we shared a friend. Mm-hmm. We do indeed. Years and years ago.
2: <laughs> the great Miss Laurie O'Connell.
1: Laurie O'Connell.
2: And... People should know about Laurie O'Connell because she's she was and is so awesome. So um, I went to high school with Laurie. Did you?
1: I didn't I know that. I did.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because Mom was just asking me last night. She says, "Now, did Laurie? Did she play music?" And I go, "Monitor." And she's like, "Oh yes. What was I think?" Because we, because uh, when I was when we were in high school, Michael Ulencott, who was in Monitor, mm-hmm. um, and I were had a folk rock band together. So. <laughs> I sang backups, Tiffany. I know that's gonna shock you, but um, yeah, we had a folk rock band called Canyon. Ooh. But uh, yeah, of course. Wow. <laughs> we did covers and some originals.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Actually, it was a bunch of really talented people, but, um, but not myself so much. But uh, but um, I could do a few few's and ohs definitely. I know
3: how much you like the oohs and aahs. Yeah,
2: she knows. I I secretly wanted to be a backup singer. I did.
3: She only, when she sings along to songs, which she does often, (laughs) in the car, in the house, she only sings the backup parts. And if there is a really good backup part you get even more excited i really i <laughs> really been that. in 20
2: feet from stardom yeah, clearly yeah i was maybe 50 feet from starting, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i should have been in there Ooh. so um so Lori was michael's best friend and she was uh and she was my dear friend and remains to this day really close friend and um and then steve thompson and was kind of a, I think he was like a year older than us or something, or maybe went to a different school. But
1: what school did you guys go to?
2: We went to James Monroe High out in what was called Sepulveda, California, and mm-hmm. is now called North Hills. Okay. And so, um, and then after high school, um, actually Laurie and Steve met, and I and Steve met, and <laughs> Laurie, Laurie won the prize. So, you know, I didn't. Uh, We made out, but, uh, she married him, so, (laughs) so then, uh, yeah, all the dirt, so, um, (laughs) so, uh, so then Lori and Steve got married, and, and then, um, they, they all went to Northridge, um, to college, and then uh, they formed Monitor. And um, actually, Tiffany and I sang on the Monitor album that you were also on. Yeah. Tiffany was like mm-hmm. five years old.
1: That's right. I ran into Tiffany, met Tiffany again. And I don't, I don't, did we meet when you were a child? I mean, you we were pretty young.
3: I uh, Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: You know, but we were on the same record together. So, but I ran into you at the Burgerama. Okay? Yes. And you told me that. And I mean, it's just, that's such a, such a formative part of my, you know, musical experience my life you know um the way that i got to know uh lori and monitor you know steve and everybody uh was through david wiley
2: of course remember
1: david yes i was
2: trying to remember how lori came to know meat puppets
1: no this that's how that happened is because because uh david was in a band called the consumers who had they were from phoenix right where i'm from where we're from. Right. And uh, Meat Puppets got together because we met Derek Bostrom, our drummer Derek, you know. And Derek, uh, and, you know, the other part of the, of the Meat Puppets is my brother Kurt, mm-hmm. right? So um, we met Derek, and he was, I, I think he was a little, I mean, I know he was a lot cooler than I was, you know what I mean? Just more tuned into, like, stuff. You know, Phoenix is kind of out of the way, and I was just kind of an out-of-the-way kind of a person in a way. Uh, but David had, or I mean, Derek had, had uh, gotten in touch with uh, a writer out in phoenix bart bull who had, had written some stuff about the consumers in the local paper out there and and said something about like bart had said something like you know if you weren't at this show you know that happened out in phoenix like this is like 77 or something then you weren't cool right yeah but it was at a bar so derek's like well what if you weren't old enough to get in you know and right. through that he passed along bart passed along like david's missive to uh, to uh I mean, Derek's missive to, De- to David, Wally, the singer of the consumers, right? And those guys moved out here and were living, like, at the Canterbury.
2: Right, you know? that's where my, my boyfriend Terry Graham was living there at that time, too, and Alice Bag, and that's that was the L.A. punk It was,
1: like, the beginning. Ha- happening thing that was right. going on, right? And so when we started playing a little bit, when, you know, Derek and, and Kurt and I got together, um, Derek passed along some of the stuff that we were doing out here to David, you know, and, and David knew, and I'm not sure how he got to know the monitor folks other than just, you know, being out here, you know.
2: Well, they played together a lot. I mean, when, when David then had the B people, that was always the show. It was like monitor the B people and the human hands. The human hands. Juan Gomez and, yeah. And
1: it was kind of, there was like the LA, LA FMS, Los Angeles Free Music Society. Right. Uh, So, and, and, uh. In there, we met Lori and Steve, you know, and the monitor guys, the monitor folks, and wound up becoming friends. And it was just so, such formative stuff for us. You know, we would come out here
4: <coughs>
1: and and hang out with those guys. You know, yeah. uh, Lori and Steve were living in Van Nuys at the time. Right, right, you know? totally. And up on,
2: so, up off Sepulveda.
1: Right there, you yeah. know. And it's such an eye opener, you know. And for me, I mean, coming from where I came from, I didn't have that big of aspirations. In terms of like uh, you know, you know rock and roll or whatever, but definitely was really loved what the arts were, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like as a personal experience. And then to meet people like this, you know, and they were a little bit older than me, just a little bit, right? You know, but uh, they were into some such neat stuff, you know. I mean, we used For to do sure. such <laughs> cool shit. And, we used and, and
0: you know what's <laughs> funny? Because I you forget this, but the the Free Music Society featured like Paul McCarthy at points, Michael Kelly. Some of the giants of, right. of art, you know, right. that are like in giant museums, and right uh, th- that 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 beginnings, like people forget, like where it Jeffrey all
2: ended. Valance, Jeffrey maybe? Valance, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. We met Jeffrey back yeah, then, who was and who was still was a really close friend too. with them. They, were, they yeah. played at MoCA,
0: and and I, you know, know, and like yeah.
1: and then we would, you know, once we got to know him, we'd do stuff. I remember one time it was when the Monitor record finally came out, right, and, and maybe our seven inch that you know was spawned by them asking us to do that cover of their song for their album you know they wanted hair the song hair done more frisky or whatever like you know (laughs) like they wanted us to do it yeah so we recorded it and then we recorded the seven inch and then i remember we uh they they said you know go ahead and record some of your own stuff and that led to our first seven inch and it was released on world imitation their label right and and it was so cool we they made a contract right and the contract had two stipulations the first stipulation said Whatever the meat puppets say is what goes. Right. That was stipulation number one. Stipulation two was if any problems arise, see stipulation number one. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) awesome. And then we like so that was their their little label though. The world imitation was that was that Mm -hmm. label. Yeah, because they put out a seven inch of a pet wedding and beak also on world imitation. So that's amazing. I didn't realize that you guys did that that single on world imitation that's
1: what it was originally released on Amazing. and it eventually was re-released by sst but initially but initially it was it was through you know uh through world imitation you know monitors label we signed the contract then this is you know we actually like managed to get blood to come out of ourselves and we signed the contract in blood you know and that's how arty you know that is so great. Like, i wish so great.
3: i do you have a copy of that
1: the, of the contract? Of the actual contract? If, if only. No, I'm afraid Man. I don't. Maybe Laurie I don't has I know. It. I was but like, we Laurie should does. have
3: yeah. Laurie and Michael. Yeah, we're
2: going to We're going <laughs> <gonna ask her. laughs> to yeah. tag her on pictures on Instagram on all this stuff. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> then, like, with, for our first, for the first thousand of those things, you know, it was just such a cool, like, arty thing. Yeah. It's so comfortable to me, you know, because, you know, where I was coming from as far as, like, playing music and whatnot. My brother made it easy for me to do because he's my brother. But we we went through all of our notebooks, you know, because we would sit around. We'd found a, a a a fellow, you know, a fellow head or whatever in Derek, right? So we would sit around and draw a lot, you know. We'd fill up notebooks with like you know amusing stuff and try to amuse ourselves. And we went through our notebooks and actually called a thousand uh, drawings, drawings, you know,
2: those wow.
3: drawings were great, and folded the them single. up
1: and yeah. put them into the seven yes. inches. you know?
3: fantastic. And
1: I uh, still will we occasionally.
3: Yeah, I think. I, I'm I mean, feeling like, it, yeah, know. I think I have it. So and I remember the drawing inside. Mind. The drawing. Actually, I remember getting the, you having that single when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And I was very drawn to it Yeah, as a kid. Right. Because there was the drawing inside. I thought every all of the packaging was really fascinating to me as a little kid. I remember.
1: Oh, it came out yeah. so well. And occasionally, it's still one of my favorite things about, like, you know, how much we've done and how long it's been and everything. It happened in Australia last year. Somebody will come up and be like, "I got this," and it, you know I'll see. And it's not the SST re-release; it's the original, yeah. you know, uh, world imitation release. And he's like, "And this was inside," and I'll pull out a drawing, and I'll be so able to go, cool. "Okay, Fantastic. that part of it right there—that's Kurt," you know, and then, yeah. you know, that's Derek. I can tell, you know, just our drawing God, styles. So great, you know. And it was such an eye opener so to meet those folks. You know, and yeah. it's just a, like.
2: Well they I mean it was kind of amazing. I remember um when they were you know starting to make the record and Laurie telling me about meat puppets and that you know that they were going to have you guys do one do their song hair right. and I was like but that's so crazy. They're going to have another band. I said they're going to play on it and she says no they're going to they're going to record it. Right. And I was like wow, this is their debut album. They're but they're having music. another band on there <laughs> you know, but it was so great it was like so see, genius and it was completely different yeah. from their music yeah we didn't which was definitely. really great yeah
0: well and and because we we, we we're, we're trying to get better at this um but because you did the same thing with border radio you you were outside of the mainstream mm Because sometimes we forget to talk about the guests. No, no, we're not going to (laughs) to right now, though. (laughs) I could talk
2: talk about. uh, Yeah, I could talk about. Oh, those days were magical. (laughs) magical.
1: (laughs) You know, you know, we used to do with them. I I just have to mention this again. Uh I've probably talked about this before on the show already, but this was just such formative, cool stuff. They they were kind of into, as I saw it, Southern California culture. So they were really into oh, like yeah. Disney yeah. and like yes. Charlie Manson. Oh yes. And we actually used to go out to Spawn. They knew yes. where Spawn was, and we went out there and would drop LSD. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and mom, sorry, you know, <laughs> <But> <laughs> she, the kids. She knows
2: about all that She's probably stuff. Aware. In <laughs> fact, you know, they used. Did they take you to the old trappers? Old trappers lodge ever?
1: I probably that was
2: kind of this crazy place out in Sunland. But she, the way that people know about that is that she took me there. She goes take you to this place where I just sometimes go out here I found this place and I go have lunch and it was out on um, San, off San Fernando Road yes. in Sunland and it was these crazy um, folk art statues of the wild oh, okay. west right. they're now at Pierce College This they were saved because they demolished the actual lodge but they also went out there you know world imitation took pictures out there and stuff and that was a pretty see there were places in LA like that then and also particularly in the valley you know that nobody gave a shit about the valley at all and they they did because they you know that's where we grew up you know we grew up in the valley they were still cruising on Van Nuys Boulevard and there was like a it was separate because Hollywood was crap Right. Until the Canterbury, you know. Well, it was still crap. It was especially crap at the point that <laughs> punk rock started and they embraced it. But Monitor still stayed out in the valley and Jeffrey Valance and, you know, those artists. So
3: I remember it being really magical as a kid. Just even being in no being in oh. like Laurie's house. Oh
2: yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
3: Because she had like a tiki garden in the back of her house. Those, remember
1: those little, those little, sta- those little, uh, like, what were they? Be we called sculptures. I don't know. Those little faces. Somebody had, some artists that they had gotten a whole bunch of those little masks almost. Oh, yeah. They were like those little masks things, you know? Oh, that was and, and yeah, that, that in the one backyard. guy that yeah, in the backyard. The about. Yeah. <laughs> it was the one guy. And just... I
3: remember, I really remember the backyard. Oh, the backyard. It's like a was... five and six-year-old. Yeah, And, of course, the octagon that they had.
2: Yes, the octagon, which she now has one, too.
3: I, ha- I have one purely based on loving it, playing it at, at their house when and I was a
1: kid. And you're still friends with Lori?
3: Still to this day, and I'm,
1: I'm glad. still so to this
2: day, she's such a great person, and and she's got these beautiful daughters
1: and she, uh, talented did daughters. She, did, and she, did she have daughters with Ed?
2: With Ed, yeah. Wow. Two well. two girls. Uh, one is a um, is uh works in um medical, you know, f- women's med- medical health mm-hmm. um healthcare, and um as an activist, and then her other daughter, her youngest daughter, is a um is a young adult, has a deal with Disney, actually. She's written, she writes young adult books.
1: Wow. Well, a I'm really glad. Really talented girl. If you would, We love
2: her. We love her so much, yeah. So
1: Please pass along my my very fondest I regards. Will. My very, very fondest. <laughs> I will, I have not indeed. seen Larry in a long time, you know. And uh, the, the part that, the, that she played and, you know, that Monitor played and, and you know, us getting out of Phoenix was, just can't be overexpressed. Yeah,
2: know? Good. But, you know, Good. So and who else so now were the Don Bowles and the Rob Ritter's were they from Phoenix or were they yeah. were they from Tucson?
1: No, they're from Phoenix. Don yeah. was. Don Bowles is named after uh, um, his real name is Jimmy Gersetti.
0: Oh, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's his real name.
1: And we're talking about now the drummer from the germs. Uh, and uh, Don Bowles, the actual Don Bowles, was a guy who was a reporter in Phoenix. Yeah. I didn't know Don oh, was from
2: Arizona. Oh yeah. yeah, they were. I didn't and know And him that. and Rob were really close. So uh, when Rob left Gun Club, he joined Forty Five Grave with Don. I, I'm,
1: not sure if, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Rob was actually grew up in Phoenix. You know, if he was actually from Phoenix, Rob, well, I but thought. But
0: Mikey, Mikey uh,
1: Mike Barnes was and Paul, Paul Cutler. Cutler.
2: Oh, Mikey! You know. I remember. My, Mikey was in. Uh, um, he was in a band with Michael Ullincott and Juan. Well, they were in both a- in
0: Dream Syndicate, yeah, were- which is very odd. Oh, oh, yeah. They both played bass in Dream Syndicate. Oh, right. Uh, Don okay. Bowles
1: got his name from this reporter that was doing investigations in uh, into, like, uh, corruption in the development, you know, industry, right? Like, you know, out in, uh, out in Arizona, right, where you have this big wide open space, you know, and there was these people. And the guy actually had a car bomb put into his car, Right. And wow. and ignite. I mean, he was blown up, and he, he lingered oh, for a few days, and then he passed away. You know oh, from God. it. You know, so I mean, it was a, That's where Don got his name from. That's Don Whoa. Bowles
2: God, I bet Terry doesn't even know that. And
1: you know what? The Don Bowles the car, <laughs> the car, the car, that Don Bowles was blown up in. If I'm not mistaken, is actually at the Press Museum. You know that exists wow. up in like D.C. I think uh-huh. is where it is. You know, yes. oh, I think the car is actually that. in in the in the museum up there because it was the kind of thing where this guy was, you know doing the, reporter's the job, job and, and and got put upon by you know s- some rough customers you know? wow, so that's incredible. where don got his name from
2: amazing you know
1: and it was that it was those guys having come out here from phoenix yeah and derek having a connection with with them through david wiley mm-hmm. you know and letting them know you know letting david know sending him tapes once kurt and derek and i started to play together that led to us having a connection to los angeles which is where all of our early works came out of absolutely sure, right? you know i mean our first record flat out came out because of our relationship with 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 monitor and those guys wanting us to record hair when we were in the studio and it was ed that was engineering it oh ed that's, Barger right. Was engineering that's it,
2: right he sure did
1: you know? and they just they said you know do you want to record some of your own stuff while you're in here and uh the five songs that we did wound up being the seven inch so.
2: that's so great so great So you. Love it.
1: So then, now let's talk about you now, okay? Okay. How how does one go about becoming a filmmaker? I mean, it's just. Well, this is so
2: such a good transition because Mm -hmm. because you know, I mean, I think at this time when Monitor happened, I was in junior college at Valley College, but I don't think I was even. uh, I I guess I was getting my requirements together. Mm to um, To apply to film school at UCLA, okay. so I went to film school um, at UCLA and um, with Kurt Voss, mm-hmm. who was my boyfriend at the time of that monitor record, actually, and um, and then we uh, we made uh, Border Radio together because the punk post punk scene had started to happen in LA, so um, we had made all the films we could make in within. Uh, the program at UCLA, and uh, one filmmaker who worked in the um, tech office, like checking out um, equipment to all the students, was this amazing filmmaker Billy Woodbury. And so he and we loved his film. He had made this independent black and white movie called "Blessed Little Hearts" for twenty-five thousand dollars, which of course you could you can make that type of movie even easier nowadays because of digital cameras and stuff like that um but at the time for twenty-five thousand dollars, 16 millimeter film was pretty damn low budget you know so um he made this gorgeous film in south central charles burnett the um wonderful filmmaker uh wrote and i think he shot it too uh billy's film billy directed and then um Billy said, he had seen my film, and our second movies, mine and Kurt's, and uh, Dean Lentz, and they were all black and white, and they were these kind of, they weren't like film school films at all. They were kind of like, mine was really, I was really into Vim Vendors, and Kurt was really into Herzog, and Dean was really into Kubrick, So and Dean shot all of our movies, so They had this really distinctly different feel, and everybody was buzzing about them at the time, like, oh, this is a whole new movement within the film school, you know. And um, so uh, Billy said, um, he just came to us, and he goes, you know, these movies, they were really good. He's a very low-key guy, and he says, you guys need to make a feature now. You just need to make a feature, and I'll help you. You know, whatever you need, you know. Just make a feature. So we just started pulling together this. And originally, you know, we thought we'd do this noir kind of movie, the three of us, and um, we realized that was really hard. We <laughs> 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 were like, shit, shit, that shit is hard. <laughs> so um, so it just kind of evolved into this kind of shaggy dog tail. But, but one thing that happened very early on was we, when we started talking about cast, we had all cast my sister, Luana in each of our movies, and so, um, and I worked with another guy, Chris Shear. so we, we knew we wanted them in the movie. And we wanted to shoot partly in Echo Park in L.A. and partly in, um, in, uh, in uh, um, what's the name of the place, Ensenada. <laughs> What's the name of that Bob place mm-hmm. and sonata because i had a, a boyfriend who had a trailer down there with his girlfriend and so um on the beach mm-hmm. so we were like okay we'll shoot there and then uh and then we just kind of um then then i i thought i would be a really good girlfriend to my boyfriend kurt voss and try to get chris d into the movie from the flesh eaters sure. because uh because he was really into he was really into chris as a fan. So I was like, I'm going to be a really good girlfriend and get Christy in this movie. So we were at the music machine. You remember that oh, down yeah. there? Yeah, the music machine. And it was a Flesh Eater show. And, or it might even have been his new band. It might have been Divine Horseman at that point. And um, so we had our script, which was a noir script at that point. And, um, and uh, Craig Roos from... Um, Oh, yeah. Billy Wisdom, which Mikey was in that band, I think, right? Wow!
0: Yeah, I haven't thought about him in like yeah. a long <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Yeah, and they're in Border Radio
2: too, Billy Wisdom. So, so, um, so we see Chris D. and and. Um, uh, I ask Craig. I go. I see Craig talking to him. I go, "Hey, could you give Chris D our script?" So he goes up, and I can see him talking to Chris D, and Christy's kind of looking back at us really disparagingly. And he was apparently saying, "Do these people even have money to make a movie?" And I and we didn't. But uh, but soon we found ourselves with Chris D as our lead in Border Radio, and then um, Chris signed on to do a noir. Because he really knows movies. So he knows noir movies really well. And so he, when it became something else, Chris didn't care. He was still playing a noir character. He didn't care. He was like, I'm in the noir movies. <laughs> you guys can do whatever you want. So it's pretty interesting because he almost never breaks that in the entire movie. Except when Tex from Tex and the Horseheads makes him laugh at some point. But otherwise, he... Plays the noir to the end in Border Radio.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny that you say. I mean, I saw that movie not too long ago. I was watching it on; uh, it was came up on cable. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about, and and it's it's a really weird thing. It's like, and this is one of the reasons why I've always admired you. It's like you've been kind of at the beginning of the two revolutions in indie movie making. Because movies like Border Radio and uh, – um, I saw this just recently too. Um, what was Jim Strangers in Paradise. Strangers in Paradise. They were
2: all at the same time. They were all at the same time. It.
0: And they were all – they had this feel to them that that it, it would be almost impossible to recreate now. Um,
2: yeah, I think that it's because we were really influenced – you know, we, we were really influenced by um, – by European filmmakers Mm -hmm. through, so we kind of got our American filmmaker influence through the Europeans, So, so they kind of, we didn't immediately take it from American cinema, it was through the European interpretation of American cinema and so they became it became something really, di- but with our unique like kind of American experience. Well,
0: they still hold up, and they do have that kind of weird quality, almost like the the early French New Wave movies. Well, that's um, what
2: we we wanted to be. I remember going, he, reading, you know, hearing in film school about like the French New Wave and the New German Cinema movements, and I was like, I want to be part of a movement. And then we were, you know, it was really weird. And then we were.
1: Why? Why film? Why film?
2: I just didn't have any musical gifts.
1: But, but
0: when it, <laughs> I <laughs> mean, I really the backup <laughs> singing. That
1: never stopped. Me. <laughs> that, that never stopped me.
2: <laughs> oh God. So it's kind of that. For the me. arts. You
1: wanted to do the arts. You well, to do... I
2: wanted to tell stories. Yeah, I you suppose. Wanted, to so, wanted to tell stories. So in a way I kinda of still feel like no matter what happens, it's all storytelling to me. So right. now I really don't care. Right. If it's on a big screen, great. If it's on a small screen, great. If it's on your phone, great. Right. If it's here telling this narrative, it's great. You know, even making a—I mean, not that this happens anymore—but because playlists are not storytelling. But mixtapes used to be story. You know, that was a—you're telling a story. You know, it's a narrative. So, any way that I can tell a story, and you think that matters to me?
1: You think storytelling is important? I mean, is it? It's I a, do. It's essentially a human.
2: I do. Something
1: that that people need
2: how do we how do we live without it I mean you know I remember Kurt Voss talking about Wichita Lyman you know by Jimmy Webb mm-hmm. and saying if I could write a song like that and you know, if I could tell a story like that in less than three minutes I wouldn't need to make movies <laughs> and I think that's really true you know it's kind of yeah, I think storytelling is really important. I don't think people will ever not need stories. Right. They might need shorter stories. They might not be seeing stories the way that we've been telling them, in film or TV or you know. But I think they need to be told a narrative.
1: What do you think? What do you think that the story gives to people? I mean, why do we need that?
2: Oh well, here's a good example. AA, you got AA to get sober, and they go, "Here's what you do." <laughs> Here's, here's what you do. You tell, you tell a narrative. They go, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. So I know that people will bypass this a lot in AA meetings. They're like, I don't want to talk about the past. I just want to talk about now. And I'm like, no, I want. I need to hear what it. What it, I need that narrative. That narrative is healing, you know. So I think that uh, stories are really important for people. Narratives are important. They need to hear. Where you been, what happened, and what it, what it's like now, and what it could be. And I, I just think people will always need that.
1: I mean, I definitely know as far as, you know, I like to read, you know. And, and, mm. and, and that's a story. Yeah, you know, and, you know, yeah. And, and I'm able to read. I find myself reading all sorts of different stuff. Right now I'm reading uh, Samuel Pepys, you know, the diarist. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. You know.
2: That's great. And it,
1: it's just uh, it's this guy... Uh, Peeps was, just for a little background, he was uh, um, lived in the 1600s uh, at the time of like the Reformation, right? Like Charles II uh, came back into power, became the king again, and they had the king again. And then he lived through a couple of really fascinating times, uh, In I find fascinating. Uh, in 1665, they had an outbreak in London and England in general of the plague. And then in 1666, they had the conflagration. The Great Fire of London, you know, so, and one of my other favorite books that I just absolutely love is Daniel Defoe's uh, Journal of the Plague Year. Mm. (laughs) That's great. Uh, It's Uh an amazing book, you know, I just, I just, you know, and I think. And
2: Samuel Pepys was like an essayist, right? Are
1: they, are they little
2: narratives or? They're they're different pieces, right? It's
1: a flat-out diary. Oh yeah, it's a diary, It's it's 10 years, like I think, I mean, I've been reading the thing for a couple of years. It's like, and big books, you know, wow. because it's just, yeah. you know.
2: I have one, one little
1: him volume, yeah. Just going through every day, you know, and, 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 and some of the language is a little bit convoluted and whatnot. But, I mean, the, the he was a part of the Admiralty, you know. So I think one of the reasons that, that it's historically significant is because uh, of who the people that he was associated with, you know, oh, the, part yeah. the, the part that he played in the city government. But what's gripping and why I find, you know, myself drawn to it is is the story is just— you know, something what the relationship to somebody else having lived their lives, oh, you know. Yeah. What it is to be, you know? For what sure. What it is to be, you know. And it's and
2: very uh very um affirming to hear other people's stories, I think.
1: It yeah. And 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 it's fun too. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's fun. So totally how about this? there's not a whole lot of women directors, are there? I mean I you know it doesn't there's s- a bunch. There's There's a a lot now, but I mean, like the big guys that you hear about are generally men. I mean, did did you find, as a woman, just because here's one of the things, getting your art done. This is something that I've dealt with. You know, I really like doing the art. You know, and then I don't. I'm you know I don't really want to do anything else. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, so but I want to eat. You know what I mean? And I want to like have a house to live in, you know? Yeah. So for sure. You know, so you have to shelter. Yeah. To, <laughs> if you can figure out how to, you know, totally. make a living at doing something that you know, making making the art. So uh
2: well, this business, I will just say, I, I mean I was even thinking about this with Tiffany today, you know, in terms of music supervision and stuff. You know, this business is insane about women. I don't know what it is, but it's an, it's total insanity. With movies, with TV, with music, why women are I mean, there is more women in in any other jobs, in any other professions than there are well, in these it's businesses. Actually, it's craziness.
0: I don't know if you know this is but the one area women used to be in almost 50-50 back in the 30s, 40s and 50s was writing. Right, and now that is the one branch we have. These unions out here mm-hmm. I'm in the writers' guild, mm-hmm. you're in the writers' yep. guild, it has the lowest women participation of any of the guilds. It
2: does not get better and, 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 every year. It does not get better. And,
0: and if you if you if you don't have women writing the stories, you know, well,
2: guess it, who's going to be the main character?
0: Yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and, and throwing this out not to you, yeah. it, it's funny because you just uh, I I don't think I told Chris this, but. I was just watching Interesting Back and Forth, and I was reading some of the articles. Allison is just uh, is part of a, a magazine that just came out. Oh, yeah. That was about women and women in film, writing mm-hmm. about women in film. And what I thought was interesting is Allison posted it, and, and your good friend Quentin Tarantino was just going off on all these, like, female directors that he loves. Yeah. and You know, it's like, but we don't have the executives in the same realm as, say, that you know
2: well I think one thing somebody had just reposted uh something on Twitter um that I went and looked at I was like uh because she said that I was I had said something about um boy wonder director or something so I went and looked at it and it was actually a piece from 2003 by B. Ruby Rich and the Guardian but you know, one of the things that I talked about that long ago, and which is such a big problem still, is um, is this boy wonder kind of thing, you know, where it's like the boy wonder director, like, you know, that started kind of with uh, Orson Welles, you know. And it's a mythology that's so huge that it's really almost impossible to overcome it. I don't know how we overcome that. I thought that Lena Dunham was going to be the girl wonder, so that finally we could all like you know continue to work you know and not have to totally <laughs> yeah. slug it out. Well, you know,
0: that's that's a funny one because I, I sadly as I think the first two seasons of her show even the third season I was very interested mm-hmm. in. And it I, al-
2: I, she needs to make another movie. She but it's she's almost like she, it's almost like she
0: wants to be an author and and yeah. and, uh, and going around doing speaking engagements and hanging out with Taylor Swift. Unfortunately. Um, I don't mean to be mean, but it's like she was handed this golden opportunity, and
2: uh, yeah. Uh, well, I think it ta- it's, it'll take somebody like that. You know, well, it'll take someone that makes a big bunch of money, and I mean that's what happens in music, I guess. I don't know. Well, what do you think, Tiffany?
1: You no, know, we have Tiffany, and you are working in the industry, right?
3: I am. I'm on uh, I'm on the music side of things. So, I do music supervision, which means uh, just basically overseeing everything that's musical within the film or Mm -hmm. TV project. So, that can be from like figuring out who we want as a composer, or Mm -hmm. clearing this, licensing the songs that we want, Mm -hmm. or figuring out if we can't afford something, what else we can get. Yes. So, uh, that's that's the big part of yeah. the job. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I just got to interject that the reason that Tiffany, I always say this, but it's so true, um, the reason, she, from a director's point of view, the reason she's such a great music supervisor, one, one of the many, not only just her knowledge and, and her ability to talk to musicians because she is one, which we're stupid about, directors um but also she can pry the song out of your hand very gently that you can't get and she can go I because for us filmmakers we're just like I just don't even I I mean I don't even want to make this movie now if I can't get that song I just you know I mean and usually in my case tears come along but she's very good at prying that song out of your hand and replacing it with something else and going
3: Maybe this will work. <laughs> well, even today, you know, I'm doing James Ponsult's new film, and he's working on it. He did it. I've worked with him on two previous films. He just he has a movie out right now called The End of the Tour that we worked on together.
0: Which is fucking brilliant. It is yeah. a great, great Everyone film. Everyone
3: should go and see that. Totally. Wonderful, wonderful, But movie. Uh, him and I have a, you know, we've worked together a few times now, so I know... I have a relationship with him where I know kind of his whole deal. And we have an artist that's um, probably going to do this on-camera thing. And he has a big catalog of music. But his first three albums are very, very tricky in terms of clearing the music. Because there's samples. There's like James Brown samples and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I knew. I was like, I bet James... Is gonna want something off of these, want him to perform the song that's off of one of these first three albums that's gonna be really hard. And how am I gonna like gently tell James, let's try and go for something newer that he wrote that there's no samples in and that, you know, we might be a little. So, you know, it's funny, I just right before I got here, I was like, so James, you know? How about these songs? Are you cool with these songs? And I let them know that you know the first three albums, but it's kind of funny to it's it's just about it's it's a balancing act and trying to, you know do what's right for the project but also cover cover the the ground.
1: Well and, and it seems like you know maybe people you know men and women, men, essentially have gone to the point where they're able to, uh, work with a woman on, on on those terms in a way but as the director you're in charge right I, I read a quote by you or something I read an article where you were talking about how uh maybe a while ago you know kind of dealing with the older guard uh, you know where you would go in and they would be kind of standing around waiting for the director to show up oh yeah you, you know what I mean yeah you said something yeah. along those lines for sure
2: so, for sure but you know and with working with the music yeah so so I mean you I don't know I mean most of the Guys, she works with, or the filmmakers that she works with, have a pretty strong point of view about music. I mean, there are directors yeah. that don't; they just don't care necessarily about music. But then they probably wouldn't hire you if they don't care. I
3: think, I think, uh, especially with somebody like James, who you know, Bill, mm-hmm. he had, he is a, he's, he's a music head. He, he knows music.
0: Well, he's he's from Athens, Georgia. Yep, and... oh, that's
3: right. He that's that's he likes right. his Bill, music. You know, that's Bill
1: made right. Athens, Georgia inside out.
0: That's
3: right. The best. I, I, that's well, right. I bought is, that soundtrack, or I bought like a record of that recently at a flea market at oh, PCC. Nice. I
0: I still think it's you know it, it's it's right. it holds up. I I, I, I still I make I still make part of my rent off of that movie. So you know, um, <laughs> awesome. but uh yeah, and it's funny though because like the first time. I'm digressing, but this guy, James Ponsold, I just think is one of the great young filmmakers Mm -hmm. going. And Tiffany works with Mm -hmm. him regularly. And and I was at one of your events at Don't Knock the Rock, and I walked up to him, and I I wanted to, like, go off on, on the spectacular now and talk to him about that. And he starts... Telling me, he goes like, "Remember the scene from your movie?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I sat in the editing room for a year. I, yeah, I do remember it. It's like I'm trying to forget it. I'm trying remember to get it out of my head. The it's like, but, uh... <laughs> <laughs> was that awesome? <laughs> stop, stop doing scenes from my
1: movie. I want to talk about yours. But all right, you know, now let's bring let's bring your mother into okay. the conversation.
2: Great I think we.
1: Rachel what do you, as your mom so you're a little bit older and then your grandma's a little older. bit older <laughs> what, what what do you think i mean about the relationship between men and women and where women have gotten to you know in in your lifetime i mean look at the, there's the possibility that do you think hillary clinton <laughs> could be president do you think she's
4: Oh, you mean broadly, not broadly. In film? No, I'm, I'm broadly definitely. I got you. And I,
1: because it relates directly to film in a way, it relates to every you know every aspect in a way, you know. And definitely, film is a little bit more specific in some ways. The arts, you know, you get into arty people, yes. and there's such nudges in a way, you know. You know, whereas whereas something like maybe you know uh, the sciences, it's just down to like you know, it's such a finite thing, you know. Right. Not, you know, so right. it's like a, a woman can be a doctor and they have been for a long time you know and that kind of a thing but just in general i mean then you get into like politics which just gets into kind of the nuji realm of things exactly. in a way you know where you know can people handle that so i mean what's your do you have anything to add that's
4: well i think we've been probably been heading toward a female president for a long time right but i'm not quite sure we're ready i'm just something inside me just feels that Overall, uh, the majority of -hmm. our country, voters, Mm -hmm. are just still skittish. And I think it's all about the, um, you know, we've come a long way. We really have come a long way. But um, when the final moment comes, I'm just not sure women are that... um, I don't want to say important, trusted. I still don't feel the trust. Wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. Because it seemed like, it seemed like, uh, considering that, you know, uh, that President Obama, you know, became President yes. Obama as opposed to, you know, Senator yes. Obama, that, you know, a, a a barrier had been, you know, crossed or something. Exactly. You know, and then. Uh, but he's male. But he's still male, definitely. <laughs> so you think, I mean, you think he's really still down to that? Yes. It, 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 w- would women... I recently saw something that said, like, women aren't that supportive of, of, of Hillary Clinton, in a way. Yes. You know? Which, I've
4: read that, too. Which I
1: found surprising. Yes.
4: Women are women's worst enemies <laughs> a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's quite true. And I'm not sure... I think there's a certain element of women who are still upset with Hillary because she forgave Billy. Really? Yeah, for his bad deeds. And I think that that's still lingering with a lot of women. They just think she's a little wishy-washy, a little, little, just untrustworthy.
0: But she did introduce a lot of people to Tammy Wynette. You, <laughs> you know that's And right. that's a great thing, in my that
2: opinion. Was, that
4: was a good thing. Even though
2: she says she's not going to stand by her
4: man. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Of course. Of course. Of course. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> so then, of course, there's like a... Uh, oh, I'm not even going to get into that. I was going to bring up Bruce Jenner, and who's now... Uh, Let's uh, yeah, not go down. The you end. know, we're suddenly now like <laughs> we're, Caitlin, we're suddenly gender, gender, gender. It's Caitlin now, in, yeah, and I, gender I I suddenly becomes issue. I just want to stay away from issue.
0: that family in general. Although, I'll...
1: but has, haven't things changed a lot though in your lifetime?
4: Oh yes, oh no. yes. But it's funny because my movie-going years as mm-hmm. a child, uh-huh. uh, we had the wonderful, this just absolute, um, endless. Uh, uh, the abundance of stars like Gene Tierney, Cary Grant. Well, th-
0: th- it's funny that you, you, you mentioned that it used to be... Uh, years ago, this this great woman said, you're making films, you have to read this book. It was a biography of um, Irving Thalberg. Oh, uh-huh. And he would not make a movie without a woman star. Oh. He said you had to have a woman star, and... That's why you see these movies like in, in uh, the 40s and the 50s, because he was so successful. They all yes. model after that. And you see this yeah. like, it's a men's prison movie, and suddenly, you know, suddenly Joe Crawford has in to San- do something in there. It's like, San- suddenly Joe Crawford is like, what are you doing in it? Like, why yes. are you here? And it's yes. like, because contractually, they got to have this. And, and weirdly enough, because I, I love the 60s and the 70s, but kind of those all those macho guys that we all worship, mm-hmm. they are the ones who kind of directed the movies with the Godfather and everything. It's like, I mean, right. Diane Keaton could be a chair in that movie. And um, yeah. yes. I mean, and I, I love her to death. And I, I, but somehow right now, like you can, it's very, there's very few female stars. So few. And there's a lot of, and it's not just that there's there's not a lot of female stars, it's like female stars get punished if they have one bad movie. Oh, I yeah. mean, right. Sandra Bullock like they were like writing about her as if she was washed up 10 years right. ago right. and right. she is consistently over the last 20 years one of the most bankable stars. Male stars will be given like 10 movies where they're like like if you really look at their their box office you're like oh you've cost the industry like you know a billion dollars (laughs) dude you know Mm -hmm. but they'll still be a star yeah and uh like julia roberts like as soon as she had a couple of things it's like well you're going to be playing moms and grandmothers now julia and
2: i was just reading something yesterday where Liv tyler was she's 38 which is actually kind of hard to believe that she's 38 now but then and she's You know, looks amazing. She's in the that show, The Leftovers. But she said, "Oh, I don't get any of the parts anymore. You know, it's it's just like I'm 38. It's like, you know, isn't it? Like just just this kind of yeah, it's just so bizarre. Like
0: like you can be like a you know an 80 year old and uh, Woody Allen. I'll put you in a movie opposite Emma. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, no he's saying an 80 year old man with a young oh, woman okay all right that's
0: good, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's okay for for you know Jennifer Lawrence to play opposite like uh you know Abraham Lincoln exactly. as uh yeah. like a, <laughs> a, 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 like, oh they
1: would they would get together for sure <laughs>
0: just just uh just get him out of the just get him out of the grave and uh oh, we'll man. reanimate him um it, it's weird it, it's it's a funny time and and I think there's been a lot of advances. I mean, when you started out, there were almost no female directors, and there aren't, you but know. But the
2: weird thing is, of course, there, there's a thing on TCM uh, in October. There's a whole month of, of uh, called Trailblazing Women, and it's um, different women directors. I mean, they go through different eras. And I'm hosting with Ileana Douglas, the independent uh, filmmakers, uh, like five films including border radio actually and then but then there's like the silent movie period you know and how there were all these amazing silent women silent movie directors who were women lena
1: Wertmüller.
2: yes oh, yeah. and lena Wertmüller, yeah Vert-Muller. for sure
1: you know I, she
2: was so great
1: and and look at there look at i mean you're talking about guys that were obviously pretty pretty serious about what they were doing and whatnot yeah. you know and and uh she was able to you know, it so well in a way. That's I, right. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's strange stuff, you know. I mean, it's strange stuff. It always gets back to just, like, what being is to me, you know. And I i know Bill doesn't want me to get into this kind of creepy crap, but, well, you know, <laughs> you know like, I'm trying to keep the, the shows upbeat, and, you know. But, I mean, you've gotten a lot of really great stuff done. Do you think that? I mean, are you happy with what you've managed to get done?
2: I am, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, so, I you mean, should be, I think. I mean, all that I ever wanted to do was have a career, like, you know, I wanted to be able to make... A few movies, like you know, on the scale of inventors, movies from the German period, you know, and I feel like I did that. And he and I are close. And, and then you became he was friends my mentor. With, oh, that's and, so badass. You know, yeah. So it's like I that guy kind of did what I wanted to do. Right. You know. So now I'm just trying to figure out what the hell I do next
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, <aren't we> all? <laughs> to keep going. We yeah. all, you know, I know, you know right? Yeah. You should t- try podcasting.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so now there's digital, though, right? Now there's yeah. digital. Yeah. So that's changed things up.
2: It has. It has. I mean, it's kind of similar to what's happened with music, I guess, you know, in that it's like like analog and like... I mean it's changed things in a good way and it's also changed things in a bad way. It's like the, the movie business is almost always a little bit behind the music business. So now just like how people don't go to shows or go to or buy records in the same way that they used to, they also they really don't go to movies. I mean
4: right.
2: it's shocking to me. Every time I go to a movie, myself included, I don't go to the movies, but it's it's really shocking that nobody's there and it's no no indication of the film itself. It's just people don't
1: go. Right. It's and weird. definitely the music business has changed a heck of a well, lot. Well, it's you know? just unbelievable. Unfortunately for me, nobody ever came to my shows in the first place. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. so, I like. think
3: people go to shows more than I think. The biggest thing is that they don't buy records.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it. They go to shows. Yeah.
1: And
3: now you now experience. now like musicians are like worked to death and have to tour like endlessly, nonstop. Because that's the only way to make money and keep yourself out. I know this
1: one guy. He's actually pretty highly regarded in the music business, you know, I mean at least by fellow musicians, and he's been forced to do a podcast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I have to bring this up. Now I have to bring this up. This is just this is fanboy shit on my on my part. You used to go out with one of my favorite bass players.
2: Who's that?
1: Didn't you go out with John Taylor?
2: Well that- No? Uh, yeah, we we had a little affection for each other. Yeah, <laughs> I think mean, we could say that. <laughs> okay. But we didn't go out. Oh,
1: you didn't go out. Okay. But, but
2: we did write a lot of letters oh, together, okay. oh, and kind of then thing. and then he did my score for uh, Me Vita Loca. But wow, what a first of all, what a handsome man! What a we called him Mr. We called he's him Mr. Handsome oh, on Sugartown because he was yeah he's so <laughs> handsome. <laughs> And, and he's, he's a good s- fucking bass player. Such a great bass player, yeah. and he's he so f- knowledgeable about music. And he's a great letter writer, and he's a wonderful human being. Ah. Really wonderful man. You know, cause, uh, and like... I know I know him because of Tiffany.
1: Oh really? <laughs>
3: yes, because Dran Ram was a big deal at eight years old, and yeah. especially. John
0: Taylor. John Taylor. <laughs> is he in the illusion really of Duran Duran? He is. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, that's very good. Because to me, it, it's weird. He's one of the few bass players. It's like Duran Duran without John Taylor is like struggling.
2: Yes.
0: Duran Duran with John Taylor is like world domination.
2: That's so true, isn't it?
0: It is, it really is. What the time Those he songs him, would be nothing they, without him. When when they have struggled, it's when he's not in the band. That's and right. and and then when he rejoins the band all of a sudden it's like oh Duran Duran is again the biggest band in the world so yeah. See, bass playing. Yes. Well, his oh, bass playing agree. is
3: definitely what I, special. <laughs> <laughs> oh, same
0: thing with the music. I do. Oh, meat I, right. I, I happen to love
2: bass players myself. Paul McCartney. Oh, That's right. right. Hello, oh, it's oh, my really? it's my thing. It's like your the rhythm singing. Sing, yeah, the rhythm section is you my like the scene, side man. Players. <laughs> yeah, I like the drummers and the ew, bass players. Well,
1: the bass players <laughs> I can understand, but the drummers, yeah. ew. <laughs>
2: Well, I like one drummer. Which one? Well, my boyfriend Terry Graham, who was in okay. Gun Club. Okay. You know, oh, in the bags. Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Is, is your boyfriend now?
2: He's my boyfriend now. Yay! You
1: yeah. have love in your life. <laughs> yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say
0: number one. We're we're pretty much at the end here because uh, time-wise, and we need to wrap up. But I'd love to. I think I could speak for Chris. Uh, I think we'd love to have you guys back at some point. I definitely would love to have you back with James. Oh yeah, about. yeah, oh,
3: yeah. My James, God, should, that would be James, cool.
0: James should yeah. wants Come to do out. the show. But anyway. Um
1: isn't this kind of cool? Isn't the podcast kind of cool? It. Yeah. But I love it. You know, I mean it's, it's uh, I find so great. It, it's, it's just it's fun for me. I mean uh it's what I, what I like about the arts, you know. It's like mm-hmm. you're saying storytelling, you know, and right? just and like some finding something within yourself, like, you know, not no answers necessarily. But at least like a take on like the question, you know, I like, totally. you know, so, and, and I'm, I'm having a good time doing this and I really appreciate y'all coming in here. Mm-hmm. And this is a super first, fun. this is a first where we have three generations of a I family. I know. Yeah. And <laughs> I'd really like to thank you all for coming in. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you enjoyed it. And we
2: loved it. Thank you, thank you for yeah. having us.
1: That's very great.
0: much so. It's super fun. Today's show was recorded at Winslow Court Studios in Hollywood, California.